Well, it is, it's good to be back. I'm a little rusty. I think it's been about a month since I've preached. Christmas Eve was actually my last sermon, but, uh, so it's good for me to be back. But I do feel a little like I, you know, I haven't preached in a while. So instead of just jumping right in, I thought I'd maybe uh, ease into this a bit by giving you all a pop quiz, not on the book of Romans, which we've been studying, and which, by the way, we'll be done with at the end of June, but rather just some interesting historical facts. So you don't have to raise your hand yet. Let me go through the questions, and then we'll go from here. What horse came in seventh place at the 2011 Kentucky Derby? There are 19 horses in the race. I think there's only one guy in the room that has an outside shot at that, and he's shaking his head that he doesn't know. Who was Reverend Burl Cannon was the second question. Thirdly, what do Charles Schwartz and James C. Hovarth have in common? And lastly, what was the Detroit Tigers record in 2003? Does anybody know the answer to any of those questions? Don't be bashful if you do. Anybody? Okay, I picked obscure enough questions. Well, here are the answers because I know you really are dying to know, and I won't make you wait till the end of the sermon. The seventh place horse in the Kentucky Derby was misnamed Brilliant Speed. <laughs> Probably would have been better named Mediocre Speed, but you know, you, you never know maybe until you get into it. Burl Cannon was actually a pastor in Texas who built an airplane or what, you know, early model of an airplane that. Some said actually flew in 1902, but there were, there were no witnesses to it because while he was preaching a sermon, his apprentice from his workshop took the plane out and flew it, and there was nobody around to see it. But he swore that it flew 12 feet off the ground for about 100 yards. So instead of the Wright brothers' names, it could have been Burl Cannon. I'm really glad it's the Wright brothers. That just doesn't quite flow. Schwartz and Hovarth were two guys who obviously did not know when it was time to not try to get elected to public office. How, you know, how many times do you have to be rejected? Apparently 23. They hold the record for never winning an election and losing the most elections in U.S. history. And the Tigers in 03, 43 and 19, which really sounds painful, except if you were the Cleveland Spiders in 1899, 20 and 134, and we make fun of the Cubs. I tell you what, that's, a, that's, pretty, that's pretty awful. Now, the question is, what do all these guys have in common? One word, irrelevance. You didn't, you didn't know any of these folks. Uh, and, and I see some of you sitting out there that I've been at Trivia Nights with, and a lot of you know a lot of useless information. And so the fact that I was able to stump you this morning proves the point. They, they didn't matter. Now, I'm not saying that their mothers didn't love them or they shouldn't have been alive, I'm not, but I'm just saying in the grand scheme of things, they were irrelevant. The question I want to ask this morning is what about the 21st century church? What about Green Tree Community Church? Are, are we irrelevant? In Romans chapter 9 through 11, God is, uh, Paul is discussing God's plan of salvation and Israel's apparent unbelief. Now, I would suggest right away that that has an immediate application for you and for me today because our generation is a generation of unbelief. By that, I don't mean that people aren't claiming to be spiritual. I would say this generation claims more spirituality than perhaps many generations who have come before. But when I say unbelief, I mean in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are fewer and fewer people who are seeing the relevance of a relationship with Jesus as having anything to do with them. And so we live in a day in an age of unbelief. So, so the question 
that is before the house this morning, is really that bottom one on this page. How are disciples of Jesus relevant in an age of unbelief? What's our mission? So what are we called, and how do we know whether or not we're actually having an impact or not? And I believe these verses in chapter 10 will give us some insight and some light into that question. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 21. We're going to finish chapter 10 this morning. Hear the word of God. You can follow on the screen or in your own Bibles. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. For the vo- their voice has gone out into all of the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to worship you with our minds, with our intellect, and with our hearts, we pray that you would open your scripture to us. We pray that you would speak your truth into our lives. Father, we don't come to hear the word, the philosophy of man. What I have to say really is of very little importance. We need the eternal word of God in our hearts. So, Father, whether we're here this morning believing in you, trusting in you, resting in you, or whether we're here wrestling with unbelief ourselves, or maybe we're not even wrestling. Maybe we're just here uh, as a favor to someone, or maybe we're here because we wonder whether we should believe, but we don't today. Father, whatever brings us here, I thank you that you know each one. So we sung, you know my name. You know the tears that fall in our lives. You know the joys that we have. And Father, if we're here, it's for a purpose in your economy. And so I pray that, that that purpose this morning would be opening our eyes to the truth in this passage. Father, I pray that you would forgive me for my sin. Don't let me stand in the way of what you want us to know and to understand. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would come and that you would be our teacher, and we pray in your name. Amen. As we think about this question, how are disciples uh, relevant in an age of unbelief, I want to kind of give a side question to that that's related, and it's simply this. Is there a role that every disciple of Jesus plays, that, that's common to all believers. Now, I understand from studying Scripture that uh, the kingdom of God, the, the, we call it the body of Christ or the church, whatever name you would like to put on it, that those folks who have faith in Christ, Scripture says very clearly that we're all very different, but we're all made up of one body that everybody has different types of gifts. So some people uh, have the gift of teaching. Some people have the gift of hospitality. Some have the gift of administration. But it's all for building up the, the kingdom of God. So your role in the kingdom and my role in the kingdom may be very different. My question is, is there one role which we all share? 
So we're at a staff meeting last week. We're reviewing last year, kind of how it went the last six months. We're looking at the next year, and uh, uh, we're all sharing kind of our goals and our ideas. And Chip Dimitri says, you know, my basic responsibility is to build relationships with people in order for them to, to help lead in music and worship on Sunday morning. And that's I build those relationships with those folks so I can encourage them, befriend them, uh, help them utilize their gifts. Now, that's a, that's a great role, and he should have that. But no matter how hard he tries, I'm never going to be an object of that relationship. <laughs> you, you just, I'm never going to be singing or playing anything in front of this congregation. So I understand that people have different roles to play, different gifts that they bring to the table. I was in my elder review uh, last, late last fall, and Michael Denkoff was one of the elders. We review all the staff, and I'm reviewed by the elders. And Michael said, I want to tell you something you did great last year. And I'm like, good, what was that? He said, I just thought you did a wonderful job of how you handled uh, the transition with you know, Michael Porter to leading the finance team and just you know, letting them do the job and, and letting them take responsibility for the finances and the buildings and so on and so forth. You just, that was just, you know, just brilliant on your part. And I said, let me get this straight. One of the best things I did last year was get out of the way. He said, yeah, that's exactly right. I said, okay, I didn't know it was a spiritual gift. Getting out of the way is a spiritual gift. I'm good. If that's what I bring to the table, I'm happy. So when I say, is there something that we all have in common, know that I understand that you have different gifts than he has, and he has different gifts than she has, and she has different gifts than I have. But is there a calling on each one of our lives that is common to every disciple of Jesus? Some teach. Others care for hurting. Many love kids or give hospitality. But is there something which we all have in common? And I think the answer to the question is yes. And I think it actually comes um, out of the verse that I didn't read, which was the last verse uh, two weeks ago when Anton preached. And Paul, quoting from Joel, says this, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And what Paul is interested in today is how are folks going to hear? How are they going to believe unless there is a communication process by which they hear the gospel? And that's what Kent Hughes is saying in this quote that I've given you. The responsibility which the gospel brings is not only to accept its offer, but afterwards to take the good news out to the world. That's what I believe is the calling to each and every disciple of Jesus. Whether you use your gifts in hospitality whether I use my gifts in teaching, whether another uses their gifts of administration, whether another uses their gifts of compassion, all of us, part of the role in which we serve, if we are a disciple of Jesus, is to engage with our world for the sake of them hearing and coming to know Christ as Savior and Lord. And that's why Paul asks these rhetorical questions in verses 14 and 15. And he says this, "'How will they call on him whom they have not believed?' And how will they believe on him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they're sent? So there are the four rhetorical questions he asks, as it is written. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news? So I want to take just a couple moments and walk through how these rhetorical questions explain our role. But I'm going to, I'm going to go about it taking the, first, the last verse first, or the last statement first, and going from there. Paul says they need to be sent. Our disciples sent? Are you and I sent? Can we claim to be one who is coming with a message? Well, understanding that the word that Paul uses there for one who is sent is the word herald, a person who announces something, the person who proclaims information, but they don't do it under their authority. 
they, they don't do it as, it's not the president standing up and saying, okay, as the president, we're doing this. Or the king standing up and say, I, I've determined that this is the direction the country is going to go. And, and that's what we do because they're the leaders. This person is one who is not the leader but represents the one in authority. And they come and they say, here is what the king has said. And maybe you've seen the movies or someone opens the scroll and reads the, off the parchment the announcement from the king. The Old Testament prophets are the best example of that in Scripture because they were the folks who would stand up and say, thus saith the Lord. God has spoken to me, and now as his spokesperson, I am speaking to you. Are all disciples in that role? The answer to that question is yes. Paul says they must be sent. We must see ourselves as ones who bring the message of the other. Well, when they are sent, do they preach? Now, this is where we get a little bit off track, and we say, well, Tom, that's your job. Jeremy, that's your job. Anton was here in the first service. Anton, that's your job. You're the preachers. You're the ones whom we, we hire. We, we want you to do that preaching. But Paul is not talking about a professional occupation here. He's saying wherever you go, wherever I go, whether I'm a preacher or a lawyer or a doctor or a teacher or a student uh, or an athlete on a team, where, wherever I find myself in the doctor's office, getting gas at the gas station, walking through the grocery store. I am one who is sent, and my responsibility, my opportunity, is to preach, to proclaim, to announce the good news of the kingdom of God. I think maybe I've told you the story before. My friend Keith Foster is a golf course designer. And Keith uh, came to the Lord uh, a few years after he was married, and his wife would come to me and say, we, we've just got to pray for Keith. He doesn't know the Lord. And through a series of circumstances of getting to know some people and hearing the word, Lo and behold, several years later, Keith becomes a Christian. And about six months after he becomes a Christian, his wife Pam calls me and says, you and Cindy got to come over for dinner because I have a, a train wreck on my hand. I'm like, what, what's wrong? She goes, well, I wanted him to become a Christian, but I didn't want him to then say, okay, we're selling everything and moving to Africa. I didn't quite have that in mind. When, when, you know, so you've done, you prayed too hard. You got to back the bus up a little bit. So we come over for dinner. We spend the evening talking. And Keith says, yeah, I just... I just feel compelled. We've got to go serve. We've got to go preach. You know, I've got to go preach. I've got, got to be somebody that does that. And, and I said, Keith, you design golf courses. Think of all the people you see that will never come to church. Think about all the guys you talk to or gals you talk to, greenskeepers and, and managers of golf courses and, and golf pros and the golf shops that you're going to be talking to that would never come to hear a preacher talk. And he's like, eh, I don't know. I'll see about that. So we go on our merry way. Well, about two months later, he calls me. And Keith was doing a redesign at Southern Hills the year before the U.S. Open was there in Oklahoma. And he calls me on the phone one day. It was one of the best phone calls I've ever gotten. He says, I just came out of the superintendent uh, of the greens of the golf course office. And we got to talking about all the changes and worked all our business. And, and we got done with that. And he said, hey, Keith, can I ask a couple questions about your life? And, and there seems to be something different than you. And he goes, so we just got done talking and, and we got down on our knees and he prayed in his office to receive Christ. I'm like, that's it. Now call your wife and let her know you're not going to Africa. <laughs> right? But that's it. It's not your occupation. It's where has God sent you and where he sends will we preach because when we preach, people hear and believe. Yes, they will. Not everyone, not all the time. We'll come to that in a minute. There are challenges with this, but it's clear that the proclamation of the word is the way in which God introduces himself into people's lives. And so when they believe, they will call on the name of the Lord. I was in a meeting with uh, the elders uh, a couple of years ago with a young man who wanted to go to seminary 
And there's part of the process is you have to come under care of the session. Now, all that means is that the elders talk with you about your life and your testimony and make sure that it seems like it's a good fit. So it's, it's kind of an interview process. And then they keep up with you while you're going to school. And this guy starts telling the story of how he came to Christ. He talked about the home in which he grew up, and it was really a, a tough home situation. It didn't go well. But so when I was in, in middle school, a buddy of mine took me to this camp, and it was out in Gunnison, Colorado in the mid-'90s. And while we were there, you know, we're out there, we're having fun, we're climbing, we're canoeing and doing all this great stuff in Colorado. But every night, this guy would stand up and, and talk about Jesus. And, and at some point during the week, I went, I, I need salvation. I, <laughs> I want to call on the name of the Lord. And he's telling the story, and I'm sitting there going, Gunnison, Colorado. That's where we do Great Escape. And I said, what's the name of the camp? He goes, it was Great Escape. Here, years later, we had been proclaiming the gospel. And I'd never met, I had met him as an adult, but I never knew his story. And he and I came and went that week, and we were together the entire week, and I, I would have had no idea who he was. And yet, through the proclamation of the word, he had come to Christ. So the question is, friends, where are we being sent not across the ocean, but when you leave this room, where are you going? I got to thinking about where I was sent last week. And I was sent to my home. I was sent to my office. I was sent to the, to the ice rink. I, had, I was at the, on the ice five times last week. I was sent to the gym, not as much as I should have gone, but I was sent to the gym. Um, I went to the coffee shop. Because I went to the gym, I felt it was okay to have a, a trip to the cigar shop on Friday afternoon. Uh, I had a phone call with a neighbor of mine about a piece of property, had some questions we were talking back and forth. I had some interaction with a, uh, Coach Kenyon, the golf coach at Kirkwood High School, had some dinner with some friends, and so on and so on and so on, right? What did I herald? What did I proclaim? Not just what did I speak with my mouth, but what did my life demonstrate? Did it show the grace of God in Christ? Did it show the compassion of God? Could people look at me or listen to me or both and know that I was a messenger of the King Jesus? If not, I believe I become irrelevant because the church apart from Christ makes no sense at all. People can be generally kind to each other. They can kind of, you know, build hospitals and schools. And that They don't need Christians to do that. There's enough of God's image in, in each one of us that some good things can happen in this world. But apart from Christ, no one will know salvation. And that is the calling on the church of Jesus. And I would encourage you, maybe this afternoon or this evening or tomorrow, to go back to Romans chapter 10 and look at these verses and maybe make a list, not necessarily where you were last week, but maybe where you're going this week. And know that God has sent you there. And there may be a person that you don't even know is watching you or, or, or involved with you who is somehow is going to hear the message of the gospel. And there may be someone with whom he's going to specifically send you to speak. And that's good too. But do we understand that we, if we're going to be relevant, must carry the role of the herald in our day and in our generation. Now, if we're going to do that, we have to be honest and we have to acknowledge that there are challenges to that. And Paul does that in the second half of this passage. And we need to see these challenges for what they are. The first one is this in verse 16. Salvation through our proclamation is not guaranteed. Paul then quotes from Isaiah, not all have obeyed. And then Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed the message they heard from us? So Isaiah says, I've been faithful as a herald. It sure doesn't look like we're making a whole lot of converts. And friends, that can be difficult. That can be tough. You have somebody that you're sharing the gospel and they're like, I really appreciate it, but no thanks. Will we be gracious and kind and yet persistent in being a herald for Christ. That's a challenge. Secondly, some would say, well, God's message 
is flawed. You know, today we just, we want to know that kind of everybody gets in and every pathway leads to God and there is no ultimate truth. There is no one way. And yet Paul says very clearly, faith comes through hearing the word of Christ. That is the message that must be proclaimed. God's message is not flawed, but there are many who believe that is true. There are many who say, I don't like the, the, the idea of the gospel being the only way to God. I don't want to hear that message. And we must acknowledge that that's, that's a difficult conversation to have with some. Thirdly, are, is their hearing impaired? Paul says, do they even have the ability to hear? And he says emphatically, yes. And actually, he quotes in verse 18 out of Psalm 19, their voice has gone out to all the earth. And there, those folks are not people. That's not the church. He's talking about creation itself. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the earth shows his majesty. Paul says, before any of us even open our mouths, creation shouts the grace and the mercy of God. And if you have a tremendous uh, memory, and you can go all the way back to when we went through Romans chapter 1, whenever that was, I think I was still in my 40s when we started Romans. I'm not, I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure we were. But Romans 1, creation itself speaks to God's glory. So Paul says there, there's no problem in hearing. And his last question is maybe their understanding is hampered. Maybe it's just too murky of a message. Maybe it's too convoluted. It's too hard to get. And Moses says this, I will make you jealous with a foolish nation. And then he quotes out of Isaiah verse 20, I've been found by those who did not seek me. You ever played hide and go seek with a little tiny one? You ever, you ever uh, played that game with them and they're running all over the place looking for you. And, you know, the way you hide is you, you go into the middle of the room and you put a blanket over yourself. Why? You make it easy for them to find you. You make it, as, from an adult perspective, a foolish game. And Paul says, it's foolish to think that God is anything other than obvious, that he's trying to hide himself. He is putting himself on display in creation and through his people. And so there is not a problem of, of not being able to understand the message of the gospel is plain. And so there are challenges to sharing with others, living that out in front of others. There, it can be difficult at times, but it doesn't change the calling upon our lives. And so as I've, as I've thought about how to, how to wrap this up, I thought about the temptations that I face and maybe you face to, to kind of ignore this common role that we all have. You know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over here and I'm really going to kind of center on this spiritual gift and, and I'm really going to kind of move away from sharing uh, the gospel with others. That's a very real temptation. It's a real temptation for a pastor. I'm sure it's a real temptation for the rest of us. So just I, I thought I, we ought to call them out. First, amend the message. You know, let's get away from kind of the bad stuff and let's get more of the good stuff. Let's kind of get away from the sin and, and, and the rebellion and let's get to the love, and you know, everybody's accepted, everybody's, well, let's just change the message just a little bit. I'm sure God wouldn't mind. I think that's a temptation that a lot of, of corporate churches have fallen into. They've stopped preaching the gospel. And sometimes it's easier when somebody gets upset with you and says, how can you say Jesus is the only way? It's a whole lot easier to go, okay, well, maybe I misspoke. Instead of saying, no, it is true, and it's for you. A second temptation, which I think is, is very much an issue in our day and age is that we retreat to our fortress. We withdraw to our little tiny disciple community and, and we move away from those who do not believe. How many non-Christian friends do you have? How many non-Christian friends do I have? Do I purposely seek out people that don't know Christ? 
Not so I can just take my Bible and immediately open it up and, and preach at them, but just so I can be their friends so that I can have the opportunity to live out the gospel in front of them and hopefully at some point talk to them about Christ. If I'm always with believers, if I'm always with fellow disciples, then I don't see myself as a herald. I don't see myself as one who is sent. And I'm more worried about being safe and comfortable than I am about, about going and proclaiming the message at whatever risk it is to me, even if it's just somebody not liking me, in order for the gospel of Jesus Christ to go forward. And therefore, that third temptation, I think, is we let criticism silence us from going and preaching to others. And they w- therefore, they will not hear. They will not believe. Those are very real temptations. How do you deal with that? Because they are real. There are folks you go, oh, I don't know if I could talk to that guy or that gal. What do you do with that? Just kind of say, okay, here's where the preacher says, look, just suck it up and go do it. Just be tougher. Come on. You really going to be a disciple of Jesus? Then you just better go do this. Well, that might be Nike Christianity, but, but that, that isn't faith. I think the last verse in the passage has an astounding answer for us. Verse 21 says this, but of Israel, he says, all day long, I've held up my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. I told the first services, I would say this last week when I really dug into this passage and I read that verse, probably the first nine times I read that verse, I focused on disobedient, contrary people. Why? Because it made me feel better. Because I could say, yeah, there are disobedient, contrary people in my life. And, and yeah, I've tried, but, but to no avail, I'm moving on. And it made me self-righteous and it made me feel better. But it also made me look nothing at all like Jesus. And about the 10th time through the passage, God moved my eyes to the, to the front to the first few verses, for first few words, all day long, I've held out my hands. Do you want a surefire way to avoid irrelevance? Do we want to make sure we escape the fate of brilliant speed and Charles Schwartz and make a difference in our generation and in our day and in our age? The answer is not work harder. The answer is not put in more effort. The answer is close your eyes. And get a vision of a God who would stand with his hands out patiently and persistently inviting a disobedient and a contrary people into a relationship with him. Because if you don't understand, and I don't understand that that's who we are, that's who we were apart from Christ, we do not understand the gospel. We are the disobedient. We are the contrary until... God draws us to himself and see the God of the universe with his hands held out. See the Lord of the universe with his hands held out, nailed to a cross so that God in his grace and his wisdom could continue to offer salvation to a lost and broken world. That is what we are called to herald. So when do we quit? We quit. We can throw in the towel when God stops holding out his hands. And that will never happen, friends, till the end of the world. Every day we're sent. Will we go? Will we herald the message of the gospel? Let's pray together.